Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Bake with Legend offer fans of the Great British Bake Off the chance to bake alongside their favourite stars from the show. If you're planning a special birthday, a hen party, or perhaps in charge of your next work social, why not get in touch with us to discuss arranging an event for you? We also offer Bake with Legend at home, where one of our Bake Off alumni can come and lead a baking class in your own accommodation. Just imagine that, Howard or Jane coming round and teaching you afternoon tea. For more information, visit bakewithlegend.com or email info at bakewithlegend.com. All of these these cake competitions that tend to be the Great British Food Festival ones. So that uh, Grimsthorpe was was one of those. Um, Spiralizers are the prize. So you are sort of compa- it is a highly appropriate uh, baking tool. Not. Hello and welcome to the Bake Down podcast with me, Josh Landy, founder of Bake With A Legend. Once again, I'm delighted to be joined by former Bake Off contestants, Jane Beadle and Howard Middleton. Howard, we are at the halfway stage. We've been and had five episodes. Can you believe it? I know, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I suppose we we sort of knew there would be ten. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's going to be halfway, isn't it? Yeah, but it is still pretty amazing. And uh, only five to go. That seems a sad bit almost, Jane. It's, uh, we're on the onto the second half oh, after this one. The sad thing is, yeah, I, I really miss it once it's gone. I love Bake Off. Just that music sets me a tingle. It also means once this is finished, then it's sort of all downhill to Christmas, which is also a bit depressing too, I think, at this stage of the game. There might be a Christmas Bake Off. Oh, there will be. Christmas Day. I, I was on that so. last year. Yeah, and how you did it a few years before? Did, 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 yeah. you, did you Christmas? Didn't, didn't yeah. you? Nobody watches Christmas. They've all eaten. <laughs> no, they don't. They all sit. They eat their Christmas dinner, don't they? They eat their Christmas dinner. They have a few too many sherries, um, and then they'll hit the turkey sandwiches and fall asleep. I mean, I don't think many people. Jane, watch this I remember that you won the Christmas Bake Off, and I'm sure thousands and probably millions of others people do. I'm sure <laughs> I, of it. I don't think millions, but I do have the, I do have a cake plate to prove it. Well, of course, you uh, you get the honour of the plate, isn't it? You, yeah. you're Christmas winner, and you get a plate. We do, and a very beautiful Emma Bridgewater it, one as where, well. Where does it sit in your house? It sits 
I'd like to say it sat in the toilet so that everybody could see it whenever they visited. No, it sits up on a high shelf, so I don't like to show off too much. Fantastic. Thank you to uh, everyone who has continued to be listening and uh, supporting the podcast. Please do continue to tell all of your friends. There's been some lovely reviews. I'll, I'll read one of them out. It's from someone whose username was FGH. I'm not sure what it stands for. Uh, no idea how I stumbled across this podcast, but I'm so glad I did. I've just binge listened to the first three episodes and I'm loving it. I love the insider knowledge and the little behind the scenes bits from Howard and Jane, all held together by Josh. And I'll see you at one of your classes soon. So thank you very much to FGH. And we should say congratulations to Nikki and Louise. They were our uh, bake down competition winners a couple of weeks ago they went to ian cummings class and made some in- incredibly impressive tasks which they put up on instagram um so well done to you guys will be another competition i'll tell you about later in the podcast but to start with uh Howard and Joe had a few questions in from some of our listeners and uh and this one uh comes from katie and she says hi i'd like to ask jane and howard how far in advance they have to submit their recipes jane said on a previous podcast that they received the challenges briefing about five weeks in advance so how many weeks prior to the actual challenge do they have to get their recipes submitted the judges always talk about the contestants changing their strategy for the next week or even the next day and i wonder how practical that actually is loving the show so jane are you gonna try and answer that one uh, well yes it all gets very complicated doesn't it i mean the, the whole thing is because the home economists and all the behind the scenes people have to have all our recipes well in advance to make sure that we have all the ingredients and hit the brief really so five weeks before the show, whether it happens now, but certainly for my year, five weeks before the show, we got recipe requests for the first two episodes and you get a week to do those. And then the second week you do episodes three and four, third weeks, five and six and so on. The thing is, you don't have much time to tweak it. I know it says they, they, they say you should improve your flavours and you've got to work on this and you've got to work on that. But you can't change those recipes too much because the poor old home economists would then have to change everything that they've got so if as happens people use essences and Paul really doesn't like essences because they taste quite fake you know if you've been told that one week perhaps you might oomph up your orange or put more coconut in or whatever that is rather than the essence but you can only really tweak them from week to week so yeah it is very difficult Okay, so there's not going to be two two bigger changes, um, Howard. But you, is this just a simple? Are you emailing them in? Is that how it is? They yeah. say send us your week one, send us your week two. Yeah, and and certainly for, for us, we had to have up until week nine, we had to have all nine weeks worth of recipes submitted before we even started filming week mm-hmm. one. So uh, again, any tweaks that you're making have got to be kind of small tweaks. I, think there were certain people within our year i don't know about your year who sort of took tweaks to the very limit uh, <laughs> as yes. in oh actually i'm going to come up with something completely different and you know suffered the wrath of the home economist and the food producer as a result result of that but uh, but you could do it you could make those changes and they would they, they let them get away with it they they did let them get away with it. Um, I'm not sure whether... Was that different for you, was Jane? Was it then? different for you? Well, we did have a few changes in the first two or three weeks and then a certain person who shall remain nameless completely changed his um, churros recipe to the point where it was completely unrecognisable and it came as a complete surprise to everybody on set. And after that, they were so strict with us we couldn't even change our tins. We, if we decided we wanted to go from a six inch to an eight inch, 
they wouldn't let us do that. Um, and we have we have one person to thank for that. Selassie will remain nameless. Right. Oh dear, did I say that, Selassie? Sorry. Um, but that was, it was fine. I, th- I think that's fine. If you know what the rules are and, and they're strict with it, the rules apply to everybody. Yeah, it's, Absolutely. It's, it's difficult as well because obviously once you start chatting with the other bakers, you do feel sort of conscious if you find that, for instance, you you are doing something which has got a Black Forest Gatto theme and somebody else is doing Black Forest and somebody else. And so you think, should I change mine? You know, should I do something different? Um, And I think that that in itself kind of compels people to perhaps do a little bit more than than tweaking. But we've, we've seen already that uh, within the tent this year, people are doing sort of similar things, aren't they? So Yes, a lot of them are thinking along the same lines, aren't they? We've had several very, very similar bakes and, and they will not have been able to confer because you submit all your recipes before you have the yeah, first so clue who the other contestants are. It's just pure luck. Yeah. Okay, Katie, I hope that answers uh, your question. Thank you for uh, listening to the podcast. Question here, Howard, from Chris Jones. Uh, my question is, who in your year was the biggest potty mouth of camera? <laughs> also, what was the Howard recipe... was. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, also, what was the recipe of yours or one of the other bakers from your year that caused the biggest headache for the crew to get ingredients for? Um, so, Howard, who was the biggest potty mouth? Um, and what do you think they're about perhaps the biggest headache of a recipe? Do you remember anything? I don't remember anybody really being a potty mouth. I can't I can't remember anybody. So I I think Mel and Sue were a bit well, certainly Sue was a bit, bit rude sometimes, but I can't remember any of the bakers. I well, I can remember a couple of people, but I'm not, not going to name them. I think Ruby went on to to sort of be quite aggressively sweary or and justifiably so i think on social media but i don't remember her um her swearing a lot within the uh within the tent jane the second half of this this question was was there a recipe of yours or one of the other bakers that caused the biggest headache for the crew to get ingredients for maybe something really niche uh, piece of ingredients that couldn't be found by by the staff or the production staff Certainly nothing for me. At one point, I asked for a certain type of chocolate because I thought that you had to be a bit fancy on Bake Off. And the home economist went, I just can't get that one. I'm not going to order it on Amazon. Will you Will you settle for Bourneville or something? And which was fine, yes. Basically, it was slapping me down, telling me not to get above myself. Um, so I, I didn't have any problems at all. They, they did go out of their way to try and get whatever you wanted, obviously, apart from my chocolate. Um, but Tom, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Tom, wanted, I think it was a type of beer that could own, was only in Scotland and he had a bottle at home that he'd used but they really couldn't get hold of it so I think the if there is something that you really really want to use that's very obscure my advice to anybody that might do it in the future is to if you've got hold of it and you've used it in your bakes take it with you to the tent because that way you can make sure that you've got exactly what you know yeah because you 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 can imagine can't you that you know one chocolate might taste and, and react slightly differently to a to another chocolate so understand why if you're so used to doing the practicing with one type of brand of chocolate or whatever it might be you you want to, to take that through with you i was just being a bit posy i think <laughs> <laughs> well thank you chris again uh, for, for your questions and for for listening and supporting the podcast
Now, we've been asking you to always be sending in your self-raising selfies. I want to hear about where you have met or bumped into someone from the Great British Bake Off. And Emma Ward has been in touch. She says, I recently met Howard Middleton and tried to give him a sweet tooth instead of a savoury one with my chocolate pigs in mud cake at Grimsthorpe Castle. He didn't have a sweet tooth by the end of it, but he did give me a spiralizer. So, firstly, Howard, I've got a few questions here. Um, <laughs> do you remember... Emma, and, and the, the chocolate pigs in Mudcake at Grimsthorpe Castle. And I'd like to know about the most um, interesting or unique or ridiculous prize you've ever had to award someone after after giving this spiralizer. I think it's all of these these cake competitions that tend to be the Great British Food Festival ones. So the, uh, Grimsthorpe was, was one of those. Um, spiralizers are the prize. So you are sort of... Compa- it's a highly appropriate... Uh, baking tool, not. But uh. <laughs> well, I think it's. I always say there's balance when people criticise us for encouraging people to eat too much sugar. Yeah. I think on the one hand you've asked them to make a cake with chocolate with pigs in chocolate mud, and on the other hand you're giving them a spiralizer so they can go and eat veg. And I think it is just showing how balanced we are. Yes, we are very balanced. Um, I I can't remember whether I've given anything. Um, very odd. Do you know, the the sad thing is, I think, when people do come at a kind of second or third or, or whatever and they don't get anything, I think that's a bit sad. I've given somewhere you give people a little wooden spoon or something like that. And I think it's better than nothing, really, isn't it? It's something. Yeah. It's not like a mini spiralizer for coming no, sort of second. No. <laughs> is, there, is there a particular brand of spiralizer that have, have dominated this prize giving area? Yes, because I think they're I think sponsored. they're sponsored by Kenwood. So. <laughs> I did say they're all Kenwood, aren't they? Yeah. This presumably was you selecting the winner. Did you did you pick this as the winner at Grimsby yes, Castle? Yes, I, I probably wasn't on my own. Um, I think probably uh, Sandy Doherty would have been with me at, at Grimsthorpe. Oh, yes. Um So yeah. Um, it was as much her choice as mine. Okay. Oh, and the audience. Oh, and the audience, because yeah. they have a public um, panel they, as well. Do they get to taste? Yeah. Or they just have to... Oh, they, yeah, can, yeah. they can come up and taste yeah. a bit. All right, well, hopefully many of our listeners will see both of you around the country and uh, who knows, with a bit of luck, maybe win a spiralizer <laughs> from Kenwood in due course. Well, let's get into the week that was in the tent. It was, of course, a 1920s week. This was another week where... Um, we went for, I guess, a new theme in the Bake Off tent. We, for many years, have had uh, recurring themes, but having had the, the first ever Dairy Week, we had the first ever 1920s week. Jane, what, what did you make just to, in terms of the theme before we get into the specifics? Well, I, I quite like a themed week. Um, 1920s seemed to be a good opportunity for people to really go to town with their decorations. And they did that. I'm not convinced they all did it in a 1920s way, but I thought it was great. It was interesting to know that custard pies were particularly popular then. And it was interesting to know that pineapple, tinned fruit was incredibly popular then because contrary to my children's belief, I was not around in the 1920s. I didn't mind 1920s at all. I think it it does push you to think of things that are relevant. I thought it was a nice week. I thought it was attractive. They had some lovely bakes and proper bakes this week. I moaned about dairy not being a proper baking week and I liked, I liked the 1920s week. Howard, last year, week five had been spice, uh, which again was a, a first time of a, a new uh, new theme being introduced. But 1920s for you, it was a step up from last week's Dairy Week. 
Yeah, I would have liked uh, 1920s. I think, as Jane said, um, there's a lot of opportunity for for decorative kind of elements to your bait. Jane and I were saying uh, on the way over, it's not an, an immediate, it's not an era that immediately you think of as a baking highlight. Um, so it's not like Victorian or, or Tudor or whatever, where you think this is a, you know, I understand, I know what the food is going to be like from that particular era. So I think it was it was definitely going to always go more towards the kind of decorative elements. Um and as Jane said, I think I think they did a pretty good job, uh, all in all. Mm, I agree. Well, look, let, let's get into the, the signature. There were a few interesting uh, comments that were made just at the start of this week's show where Michelle said, I am living and dreaming everything Bake Off, you know, when she was uh, sort of asked about what it was like to come back in week five. I just uh, imagine it's sort of totally um, all-consuming. And David sort of made this comment about how they accepted that on Dairy Week maybe they'd let the judges down as a as a collective group and uh, and all wanted to, to do better, which I think they, they probably did. Um, so signature challenge, four individual highlights decorative custard pies they were told that the pie should be open topped custard should set during baking they were given two and a half hours and paul had warned them that he wanted that short crust to be like a melt in the mouth not to overwork it to bring it together chill it down he wanted to see it beautifully formed um and he wanted of course the theme there of the of the 1920s um well, Jane, kick us off. This is a, a nice challenge, custard pie. It seems a very sort of classic challenge to, to be set. What did you make of this one? Oh, I thought it was lovely. I really like that ch- this challenge. Um, in fact, I, last week, was it? I made a, a, sorry, I made a custard pie. But I just want to go back to David's comment about last week we let the judges down. Yeah. I actually think they were let down with the challenges they were given. I don't think they should beat themselves up too much about that, I think. Yeah, I think there was six of one half dozen of the other there, to be perfectly honest. Um, yes, I love this challenge. I do love a good custard pie, tart, whatever you want to call it. Um, when is a tart a pie and a pie a tart? I don't know. Uh, but the, I have got a gripe. I've got a Jane's hump at this stage. <laughs> what was that, um, Jane? It's you, you chill your pastry down, wrap it in cling film and put it in the fridge. I think in this day and age where we're all really focused on not using single-use plastics, they should not be encouraging the bakers to wrap it in plastic and put it in the fridge. They could have put it in a little plastic reusable pot. They could have... I very often put mine in a bowl with a plate over the top. You're just trying to stop the air getting at it so it goes crusty. I think that we should all be responsible for encouraging people not to use the single-use plastic. So that was my... I've got it written on my notes, cling film, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. It's really tough to do without cling film. I haven't even been through a roll this year. I've still got the one I started at the beginning of the year because I think we all need to make an effort. So please, 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 everybody, try not to use too much cling film. But going back to the, the actual challenge... Oh, fabulous challenge. So many lovely flavours. I adore custard. It's one of the things I really like. Any custard-based desserts, I love creme caramels. I I love these sorts of tarts. Really nice challenge. And I think they all, with the odd exception, they all did an absolutely brilliant job with flavours and the way they looked. Not convinced they all look 1920s. David particularly stood out for me beautiful with those biscuits but all 
created some really stunning looking tarts. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll talk about some of them um, specifically. Just how generally uh, talking about short crust pastry, they were sort of given the uh, the advice that once it was chilled, it could be rolled out ready for blind baking, but not to go too thin because that's when you can have the risk of breakage. So is that the major problem that you can have with short crust pastry what's the what should we be looking for as amateur bakers yeah i think so and i and i think because you're going you're going to be blind baking obviously you're going to be crisping that up when you bake it and i think there was a worry as well that once you put the custard in if it's baked again um then again you could end up with the the pastry being over baked really yeah and again if there's not enough time in the oven then you know the worry it was going to be raw too much time and then the custard would overbake. And just, Jane, talk, talk to us about making a good custard. They, they were very clear on the narration, how it should be made up of egg yolk, sugar, cream, and vanilla. How hard is it to make a nice, a nice custard? Is it I don't think it's hard. I think it's fairly, it is fairly straightforward. What you want to do is make sure you haven't got any bits in it. So I would want to strain my custard before I put it into my cases, unless, of course, you're flavouring it with orange, in which or, or any something that has little bits in, in which case you're a bit st- stuck with that one. I would have, just going back to the pastry, I would have liked to have seen them sealing that pastry because we we didn't have any talk about soggy bottoms, really. And if you're putting a very wet custard, which obviously it is, it's runny, it's un, uncooked, into a pastry case, you, you do risk getting a very soggy bottom. And I, I don't recall seeing any of them seal that pastry once it had been blind baked so the way i would do it and i don't know whether that about you howard is i'd blind bake it and then i would coat it with some a beaten egg just pop it back in the oven for a couple of minutes to cook which sort of forms an egg seal and stop mm. that custard going through and you know it shouldn't all overbake that custard the the pastry when you're baking it a second time because actually you're cooking that custard at a a reasonably low temperature you shouldn't be burning the pastry shouldn't be an issue okay i mean howard there were so many interesting flavors that that were brought up i particularly like steph's or zesty citrus custard pies rosie with these elderflower jellies was probably the most impressive in terms of what she she was trying to do as i was saying earlier about you don't often think about 1920s as being a kind of highlight of baking but if you do um, do a bit of an online search for um, 1920s bakes or 1920s desserts, you come up with images of kind of domed jellies and things like that. So I could see what, what she was going for. And I think Henry as well had got some jellies on, on his bake, hadn't he? So I think they were both they were both going for something that, that had that kind of 1920s feel to it. But it is, it's tricky, isn't it? And, and I think particularly trying to put it onto a custard uh, custard pie, this is so difficult, isn't it? Saying custard pie when you want to say custard tart. You could see Prue at, at certain points wanting to say custard tart, but the whole idea was that the thing that gave it the 1920s edge was calling it a custard pie. There was a moment of exasperation when Rosie dropped it in and the cameraman just didn't know where to go. There was obviously one cameraman, he knows his job, 
is to capture this moment. And he doesn't know whether he should be focusing on, on what's just gone on the floor or on Rosie's face. And I thought I really enjoyed how, because usually in an edit it would look quite smooth, but this was just like clearly the one camera, they only had one good shot of it and they just showed the, the floor to Rosie's face to back to the floor. And it was... Uh, it just it just always seems to happen to someone, doesn't it, Jane? You you can't have ten weeks of bake off. This doesn't happen once or twice. No, something always hits the floor. Oh, my heart went out to her. It really did, and you could see it happening, couldn't you? It was sort of those those wonderful metal cake things that are supposed to help you are actually a bit slippy, and this poor warm tart just went flying. She took it very well. She really did. I thought she was going to cry, but she was. She took it very, very well. Well, absolutely. There's maybe a couple of the personalities we've seen this year that maybe wouldn't have, have dealt with that moment as well as she did. Uh, but there was almost the, the comedy of, of Michael, who was just obviously so intent on what he was doing. <laughs> just continue piping, didn't even bother to turn around and just go, everything okay? <laughs> and you could just see behind the total chaos um, that, that's going on with, with poor Rosie. But um, Rosie's face, oh, when she just let out that, oh, that... Oh, that little plaintive cry, and you could see the sort of it, it, sort of every emotion of the of the tent really that that kind of despair and disbelief and and all of the things, and you think, what can I do? It was oh, I, it was I guess is there something that if that happens to you, you know, when you're doing the signature, do you still think okay? I've got time to turn this around. Whereas that maybe happens in the showstopper and you're already nervous about how things are going. There's something maybe about it being the first of your three and, and you've got time to turn it around or would you not be thinking about I'd, that? I, th- I think the trouble is that you're thinking in your mind they've asked for four, uh, four pies, four tarts and one of yours is now on the floor and it's like... I, am I just going to be completely uh, thrown out because I can only deliver three? Yeah. Will they understand? All of those kind of emotions and those rationalisation, that rationalisation going through your head, I think. That, I think the judges are kind. I, at Christmas, we had to make these funny snowflake. I can't remember where they came from, Iceland or something. Things. And as I was carrying mine to the table, one fell off and hit the floor. Um, and the judges are kind. They know you've made it. It's not as though she hadn't made her tart. It's not as though it wasn't baked or something like that. I, d- I don't think she would have got marked down for that. You know, It's not like, who was it? One week, somebody had only done 11 or... Uh, Helena. Helena, Helena, Helena was, wasn't it? And 11. there was this just sort of little outline, rather like a crime scene. Well, I wanted to talk about uh, Priya because it's not... There was, there were there were those who were watching last week who maybe felt she was fortunate to, to stay in. And she's obviously faced a lot of issues with timing. But Priya, you know, she she tried to make two custards, you know, probably twice as much work. And yet again, she she effectively ran out of time. And, and you sort of wonder, you, you, why are you not learning from from lessons of, of previous weeks? Or is it, again, just the fear of, uh, of of making a mistake, feeling like you've got to prove yourself and she's tried too much again, Howard, maybe? I think, I think also, as we were saying earlier, if she's committed herself within that recipe to do two types of custard it's a bit late then to be sort sort of changing uh, midway and so I think that it's getting that balance between continuing to do the recipe that you've submitted and and at the same time being realistic about what you can actually achieve and if, she, if she's practiced it at home and it's it's probably worked you know you sort of go in there with a little bit of optimism that you can turn it around within the time 
And unfortunately, sometimes within the tent, it you know, time is is just completely abstract. Yes, because when you practice at home, you haven't got somebody sticking a camera in your face and coming and chatting to you. So you might be tight for time at home, but get it done. But once you've got camera crews and the judges wandering around, it just eats up another. Mm. Say maybe ten precious minutes. Okay, it would be re- remiss not to mention the uh, the handshake, of course, to to David. You know, Paul Paul effectively told him he'd made a perfect pie. He, he sort of nailed this one, Jane. Really, oh, completely nailed it. I just absolutely loved his. I'm going to call it a tart because it wasn't a pie; it was a tart. But certainly with the girls on top, I think Neil and Noel called them very flirty. I thought he did a stunning job, and oh credit to him he didn't go for any fancy flavors he went for a standard gorgeous vanilla custard beautiful biscuits how he did that in the time i have no idea they looked amazing he was worried about them cooking and kept saying that they're not baked they're not baked but unlike i suspect what priya did crank the heat up a bit which is why hers boiled he went with it and they were just set and just perfect Oh, I loved them. I thought he did a stunning job. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Any Anyone else said how you thought got fair feedback or a bit unlucky with the feedback they received uh, for the signature? I, I struggled with, with Helena's um, understanding how it related to the 1920s, <laughs> I must admit. The this... only thing I did, I did I, it looked great. I thought it looked great. But I did think... Uh, this is one where it, it's actually got a bit of a foamy look on top. And if you think about the kind of custard pies that are used within kind of slapstick comedy, they do, te- certainly in later years, they used to use shaving foam or something like that. So I think it had got some some of a kind of slapstick look to it. I just couldn't see how this related to the... 1920s. Yeah, this was a mythical sea creature that, in the feedback she was told, was, you know, had too much lavender and was a, a bit soapy. It's probably mm. not the most ideal feedback. That no. You're, you're looking no, but for. they said not bad, but not brilliant. Yeah. I, for me, I don't really like lavender in, in my food. Um, so I probably wouldn't have liked it very much. But I thought it was ingenious. And I can't see how it related to the 1920s either. But to be fair, I can't see how quite a lot of them no. related to the 1920s. Yeah, some tenuous links that mm. were, were being offered. There were some tenuous links. It was interesting, Sandy said, um, that Helena is not the only one who, who is drawing inspiration from 1920s pop culture and then went on to talk about Henry and his Kool-Aid, as in pop. But I thought, what, what, were mythical sea creatures some unknown element of 1920s pop culture? I, I don't know. No idea. I'm not sure. We'll the do Kraken. email us. We need to look up the Kraken. Maybe he looked quite yeah. Kraken-like, didn't <laughs> If you've got anything to contribute, uh, as listeners, please do email us. It's uh, thebakedown at bakewithlegend.com or you can uh, tweet us, as many of you have been doing, um, at bakewithlegend and we will uh, endeavour to read as many out as we can. Just before we get on to the technical challenge, we've had an email here from uh, Jonelle Vickery, who is one of our American listeners. She wants to know from both of you, what week would you introduce to Bake Off if you could introduce a new a new week that hasn't been done the, in the past? She proposed an American comfort food week, and she said she'd like to see a week where the signature was to make your best chocolate chip cookie, a technical of apple pie, where she would like to give further uh, instruction here. Directions would be make the crust, make the fruit filling, and top with lattice work, and serve with vanilla ice cream. 
and she's like a showstopper of a shepherd's pie. So any thoughts on that, Jane, if you'd like an American Comfort Food Week? Or what week would you like to see? Because, you, you know, you weren't wild last week about the dairy week. Is there a week you think we haven't done before that there's a, there's a gap in the market? An American Comfort Food Week, I think, would well, is a nice idea. I wouldn't necessarily choose those challenges. I think they're probably a little bit simplistic, maybe, although a good apple pie it's hard to be beaten. I don't think we need lots and lots of new ones. I think there's no harm in revisiting some of the previous challenges. You know, I think that they're in danger of having to find something new every year. There's nothing wrong with a, a pastry week, is there? Because there are so many different types of pastries. Mm. Why not choose, if you're going to do that, choose them from around the world? So let's have a Norwegian week. We had Danish week, didn't we, last year? So, uh, yeah. They've so, gone, yeah, yeah, there so was Danish week. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's some wonderful bakes. I mean, my mm. sister-in-law is Norwegian and my brother lives in Norway and has done for 40 years and they make some wonderful cakes over there. They do something called World's Best. Well, so, yeah, because I think two years ago, Howard, we had Italian. Uh, last year there was uh, Danish. So maybe, do you like the idea of going around the world almost looking for I do, inspiration? and I think it's an opportunity to get a bit more kind of bread back in as well. I know we have bread week, but it does seem that, that it would be nice to get a few, another bready bake in somewhere, uh, you know, so it's not just restricting it to, to one week. We get quite a lot of cake. But um, I'd like to see I'd like to see bread coming back a bit. This week's episode of The Big Down is in association with our friends at Seed and Bean Chocolate. Seed and Bean truly live on the wilder side of taste, creating adventurous, botanically inspired flavours using only 100% organic ingredients. If you head to their website at seedandbean.co.uk, you'll receive 25% off your purchase using the code THEBAKEDOWN when you check out. So let's talk about the technical challenge, and uh, I hope my pronunciation is right here, Howard. You can correct me, but beignet souffles, they were asked to make 18 and told they should be uniform in size and shape and serve with sabillon. Um, the instruction was to get the fried shoe ball filled with smooth raspberry jam, crispy on the outside, light and fluffy on the inside. Howard, have you made beignet souffle in, in the past? No, I haven't, although I've, I've certainly done my fair share of shoe pastry. So it was a bit... Bit shocking that that one or two people seemed not to have made shoe pastry before. They were struggling a little bit, I thought. So I think it's about sometimes having, even if it's a technical challenge that you have not actually made that particular thing before, having some of the basic skills to be able to um, do your pastry and perhaps cook it in a different way. We, I, I know we had one. I think I might have mentioned it before, where we did floating islands eel flotant and um you know it, i i'd never actually poached meringue before but i'd made meringue before so i think it's it's a similar thing to that having the the basic skills and then cooking it in a different way well jane this was interesting because paul in his sort of small commentary i guess after they'd set the challenge which they were given 90 minutes to do said that while he's expect many of them have obviously made shoe before that most probably haven't fried it and, and that was a challenge and, and to get it as, as round as he hoped because he was talking about how maybe sort of using spoons I think and, and there seemed to be some different tactics done by the various bakers as how to go about it mm, I, I, I'm like Howard I think what let 
several of them down as they'd not made shoe before, which quite surprised me, actually. And then Paul Michael, who I love, it, you know, when he made it again, he said, I, I still runny. What's, I don't know what to do. What's gone wrong? What, you put too much egg in. I mean, it's as simple as that. And if you'd had the experience, you would have beaten your egg and added it bit by bit until it was the right consistency. And I just felt there was a little bit of skill lacking in this one. I loved this challenge, though. I, I think fried shoe balls, I can't wait to make them. If people have made donuts and fried donuts, which possibly most of the bakers will or should have, have made in their journey towards a, being a Bake Off contestant, they would have had the frying experience. If they'd made shoe, they would have had the shoe experience. Making it into a ball. I wanted to say to Michael, OK, you can't get it on a spoon. Just pipe it into directly into that fat. You may rescue it that way. I thought it was a love. I I thought it was a really nice challenge that should have just tested their basic skills. I did look them up afterwards. I've got them in an old Cordon Bleu book that I rescued from my mother's kitchen, and in that they don't put the jam in. They use a jam dipping sauce and not a sabbing. Um, but I thought it was a lovely challenge that they should, I think, have have done better. Done a little bit better, I think. What 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 struck me Howard watching this one was sometimes there isn't necessarily the correlation between how it looks like they're doing and then how the feedback goes, but on this one it totally was. The two that seemed to be struggling big, biggest time with this was <laughs> David and Michael. And and so it proved they came ninth and eighth respectively. It seemed to me as though nobody had really done these before, and I think that's that's true of a lot of technical challenges. So I used to find the technical challenges um, quite reassuring in a way, because you think more or less everybody should be in the same boat. Mm. Um, and so I think I think you know I, I I didn't get too worried about the technical challenges because you there's nothing really you can do about it. No, there there isn't. You, you can't forethink them. And they come up with some fiendish things. Damp mm. noodle, I still think of. But between the two of them, we probably saw almost contrasting ways of how to deal with exasperation. We had David, who sort of smiled his way through it and seemed to accept he couldn't quite go on with it. And, and yet Michael sort of ended up with this quite unusual scene from Bake Off with, with Noel almost having to give him the pep talk and, and sort of keep him keep him fighting. I mean, do you, I mean obviously you didn't have... You know, Noel, Noel back in your day, but would would that be something that so or Mel that they would go around and, and try and give some of the bakers pep talks if they felt they needed it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think and I think you do need it from time to time. I think um, sometimes it can be do it. It can be to do with individual personalities. So maybe David is just the kind of person who just deals with things very well. You know, whatever life throws at him. But let's not forget as well that he had done particularly well in the signature challenge so he probably didn't feel under the same kind of pressure to do as well in the in the technical yeah no, it's described by, by sandy as something the dog had done <laughs> yeah it wasn't and, kind and she repeated it <laughs> said it. i just said it twice thought it was hilarious and he laughed all the way through that. yeah yes. well maybe also with david he, he had done quite well in, in many of the technicals, just, you know, and over, overall he's had quite a good journey, as that word on pick-off. He's had quite a good journey so far and done well on technicals. So maybe he's just gone, do you know what, it, it was my turn to not have a strong week in technical and, and so be it. But in terms of those who, who did do particularly well, Priya, you know, she was told that all of hers 
you know, fairly round and light and, a, you know, a pretty good filling. The structure was there and the taste good. Just I think what let her down, it seemed to be, was our Sabayon was, was not quite right. And it was Helena who uh, who, who won the technical with a good colour, good aeration, uh, not too much jam. I think Prue said it was delicious. So overall, uh, Helena probably looked like she edged it, Jane. Oh, she definitely edged it. And I think they all had trouble with their Sabayon. And I'm, I probably would have a problem. I've never made a Sabayon, to be honest. And I did look it up. And Cordon Bleu say you can make a cold sabillon and a hot sabillon, one you make a syrup with, one you blah, blah, blah. I hadn't, I haven't made one. I'm going to now, though. And I think that is something that I would advise anybody going into Bake Off, look back at old things, old episodes, find some of the um, challenges that you've never made before and do it, you know, like... Shoe pastry always make you can make sure you can do shoe and things like that. So look back because they do repeat some of these, not exact challenges, but some of these techniques, and it's always worth looking back. But no, Helena had a, a very very good technical. I was delighted for her and and Priya too. I I thought they all sailed through it very calmly. I mean, the one thing that got me though, Alice and Alice, I love you. Um, always smile through everything. An absolute no-no issue is you do not add flour after you put your eggs in because it's uncooked flour and she was trying to thicken it up. So, again, another lacking in experience on the shoe. So get out there and practice your shoe, future bake-off bakers. Okay, so how would I can assume by the time we sit down and do our our next podcast, you would have been trying out how to make your beignet souffle? Would you be going back to Sheffield and and getting those done tonight? Maybe not tonight, but I would like to have a go at them, yes. I have made a Sabayon before, or Zabaglione, or however you pronounce it, which I think is more or less the same thing. But um, I've never done anything to kind of dip into it, so that sounds quite nice. Okay. Jane, do you have a fryer at home that you would sometimes use for your baking? Do you do much frying? I, I don't do a lot of deep fat frying because I find that one... I have got a fryer. I've got an electron... Just well, just like the bakers had one of yeah. those. Um, and they are brilliant because they're thermostatically controlled. So very good. But I find that once the oil is heated up, it kind of leaves this sort of chip shop smell around the house. Um, I have got an outside electric point in the garden and i think my husband says i ought to be doing my frying outside (laughs) so i don't use it very often well let's move on to the showstopper the challenge was to make a prohibition era cake a 1920s two-tiered cake the flavor should be based on their favorite cocktail they were told and to to be a spectacle of the era and they were given four hours to do this and Paul was very clear that he would allow them or would expect that they would have at least an hour left for the decoration. Prue wanted to see wonderful design, a delicious cake and a a taste of a recognisable cocktail. So how would I assume this was something that appealed to you Um, (laughs) as we've discussed you know, a a chance to put the alcohol in the cake, although we should mention obviously Priya decided uh, not to and I I wasn't sure if that was maybe for, for religious reasons or maybe she doesn't drink but she obviously went for a, a mocktail approach but just generally this this was all quite fun and, and there were some really impressive creations Howard. Yeah and, and again what a wonderful opportunity to do something that has that kind of art deco feel that that kind of 1920s look to it so I'd, I thought it was a great um, a great challenge I would have loved to have had a go at this. 
so Jane, who leapt out to you? There, were, there was all sorts of different. I mean, obviously, you, we've mentioned about how some people seemingly have, have looked at uh, or not looked at others, but have ended up making quite similar cakes. And, and here, pina colada. I mean, whoever's doing the PR for pina colada, I mean, they're doing fantastically well. There was there was pina colada all over the place. Was what was it? Steph, Alice. Uh, was it, were there some others? I yes, think, well, there were four altogether. So yeah, we had Steph, four. Alice, Michelle, and Priya. Although yeah, Priya's was without the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Would, you, would you have reached for the pina colada? Well, would I? I'm not sure. I do love and have just recently made a pineapple and coconut cake. So maybe. I, the, the risk is with coconut in a cake, it either gets in, stuck in your teeth or it can be a bit dry. You have to be very, very careful with the coconut cake otherwise you get the dryness. And I think Paul mentioned that at one point and said, actually, less coconut in the cake. Whose was that? Was that Michelle's, wasn't it? She had coconut shavings in there. What I tend to do is I tend to blitz my coconut so it's much smaller pieces and make sure there's plenty of liquid in there to counteract it. And she put shavings in which gets stuck in your teeth. I, I put shavings on one of mine in my, well, I can't remember, lime, meringue and coconut week in the tent. Um, and they complained about that then, about getting in the teeth. But, I, I, you know, I just thought they were stunning. All of them were stunning. What wonderful creations in four hours to produce those cakes. I don't think there was a failure amongst them all. And looking back at them and I... Uh, you know, I, I just I think they're all stunning. I, I don't know what to say. Usually you get a couple that are a disaster. And, you know, they, I thought they were very unkind about Michelle's. I thought she'd gone for the new... It's very fancy doing these geode cakes these days. And she'd nicely plattened the bottom one with, with um, a pineapple pattern on it. I don't think hers was any messier or... You know, I wasn't mad about the way David's looked. It looked a bit wonky and it looked a bit messy to me, David's. I mean, beautiful, but a little bit messy. And I thought Michelle got a really hard ride over well, that. Well, Michelle did say that she felt like she was being told off. And, and David sort of had this uh, moment of honesty when he was, you know, it was queried whether they were supposed to be sinking in and he, mm-hmm. he sort of came clean. <laughs> How would you think you'd have been tempted to say, absolutely, that is what I was going for. I was, I was going for that slightly synced look. No, I, I don't think I could have, I don't think I could have convinced anybody about that. So, yeah, I think David was right, to be honest, yeah. Henry, as if we needed to uh, to be told by him where he shops when he I love this moment where he said I get the strongest coffee that I could find in Waitrose um, <laughs> of course he shops in Waitrose of course he does um, I would be gutted um, and I cannot wait for the commercial deal to be done where how would it um, where Henry sorry is the face of Waitrose in a, in a year's time or whatever it may be it'll happen um, and you're right, Jane, you mentioned earlier that there was a beep from Henry. So he did swear um, in this week's episode, which is uh, not what you'd expect. But, uh, you know, when, I think when Steph was helping him out, he also referred to her having a, a place in heaven. Um, <laughs> I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't do more for this kind of altar boy um, <laughs> d- description that we all imagine of him. So um, fantastic of him. But he, he got some, uh, some, some pretty good feedback that it, would, it looked very dramatic, very 1920s. And Prue um, thought it was a lovely flavour, possibly a little little bit dry let's just talk a bit maybe about helena's i mean that the color uh of this sponge red velvet what did what did you make of that howard it was uh it was something to remember do you know i loved that actually i thought it was again i thought it was 
a really, really interesting take on the 1920s because thinking back to kind of silent movies and there were lots of, of women within the um, silent movies who were called vamps. So this whole idea of having kind of vampire-looking characters. So I thought it was great to have that that kind of uh, vampire look. I thought she did really well. well some, of, I was, I, some of the feedback, I mean, Paul, Paul took issue with her piping work. So it was a bit bland inside, a bit dry. You've got the vodka taste, but but not the raspberry. I mean, it could have could have been kind of feedback, possibly. I think it could. And and Jane and I were talking earlier again about um, she was criticised for the quality of her piping, and actually, I don't think it was that bad. I don't think you know. It's it's strange sometimes when when uh, the judges say, "Oh, this is beautifully piped, and this one's really not." not very nicely piped at all. And you look at it and you begin to kind of doubt your own eyesight, really. Uh, mm, I agree. I, you know, I, I'm not knocking either of them because I thought Helen did a really good job, especially in the time you're trying to... You're trying to get a two-tier cake done in four hours. Anyway, but so we'd seen Michael's, which I thought was delightful, beautiful colours, but the piping wasn't in any way such a outstanding but the, the overall look of the cake was stunning and then up came Helena's with very similar yeah. standard of piping and she gets she gets sort of slated for it and I thought she got a really tough time of it I don't know whether Paul you do see him raise his eyebrows a few times every time she mentions something sort of gothy or or Halloweeny, or ghosty, or vampirish, and maybe he's just got fed up with her. I thought, I don't think. Well, I think she got a rough deal this time. I really did. Some of the feedback Alice got was also referring to that hers looked a bit of a mess, and uh, some of the sort of drawing could have been better. Yes, the big actually, pieces of pineapple. It, yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know why. You know, Helena. And then got, got the rough end. No, of it. I don't know why at all. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a loss of this one. Well, it's a time in the show for Howard's Hump. Uh, Howard, I hope I'm not putting too much pressure on you to find something to hump about every single um, episode. But <laughs> what have you got for us this week? What uh, What do you take issue with? I, I think this, this week it was a comment that Paul made. So Helena said she was doing this. Uh, this was in the signature boat. She was doing an ancient Greek sea creature. And Paul chipped in and said, like a gorgon. Now, a gorgon is not an ancient Greek sea creature as far as I know. It's a sort of creature with with snakes coming out of its head. Um, But the judges sometimes say kind of inaccurate things, which they they say with such conviction that it kind of takes you back, you're a bit thrown off guard. And Paul, I find in particular, has to look as if he's all-knowing. So I suppose my, my hump is that... I'm a bit annoyed by that, really. And a credit to all bakers who who actually deal with it, because you do get thrown and you do think, should I challenge or should I just let him look as if he knows what he's talking about, even when he doesn't? Well, thank goodness that you're there to put the world right. (laughs) Actually, I hadn't even spotted that it was Gorgon, because, of course, Gorgon is Medusa, the Gorgon with the snakes, and perhaps he just got his gorgons and krakens muddled but up. i think the fact that they left that in either the the producers are wanting to show that paul perhaps doesn't always get it right um or maybe yeah maybe they didn't know either 
So we'd better move on to Judge Jane, although Howard is here to give his opinion as well. Star Baker, in the end, it was seemed to be between Steph and, and Henry, and uh, Steph got the nod, Jane. Uh, Steph did, and actually I don't think we've mentioned Steph, I don't think, in, in the whole of this podcast so far. Oh, it's just so much to talk about. She is a lovely baker, isn't she? I, I have to say she really deserved it. She seems to be so self-effacing and so surprised when anybody congratulates her. I think she's an absolute delight. She did really well in all three challenges. Yeah, I think really, for me, she pipped Henry to the post. And you know I like Henry. I think the beautiful thing about Steph, apart from her what appears to be gorgeous personality, is she does stunning bakes, but she doesn't really, really overcomplicate it. And I think mm. there's always the danger of overcomplicating it and then getting confused flavours or getting, you know, in a bit of a muddle. I thought this was stunning, I, I, especially in her showstopper. Really beautiful with these, which I don't think they really particularly mentioned, but these lovely coloured chocolate shards coming up the outside. Oh, yeah, good old Steph. I think she deserved it. What, for the second week running? Exactly, for the second week running. So putting her in great stead for, for the rest of the competition. Mm. And, of course, for, for weeks, since week one, we've been told that two people could leave at any time. And finally, five weeks in, it, it was time, wasn't it, Jane? And in the end, it was Michelle and Helena. But I, I wonder if you agree with this. Well, the, the trouble is, in disagreeing, it means I'm think I'm going to turn around and say I think somebody else should have gone. So I'm I'm not in any way going to say somebody else should have gone, although there possibly were a couple of people who didn't do quite as well as they would have liked. Michelle didn't have her best weeks, probably, and. Helena, I don't think Helena should have gone. I think she did a pretty good job all round and heading the top of the technical. She didn't do that badly in in the signature or the showstopper. So don't know who I would have put in her place, but I don't think she should have gone. Well, you, you said this earlier, Jane, didn't you, that you felt, Helena, maybe some of the feedback was, was a bit stronger than it, than it could have been. How were you in, in agreement there? I mean, Helena possibly unfortunate to leave because we we speak um, about how once you're in the show you're not aware of if you've nearly left at any mm. point until but Helena hasn't been spoken about at any week of being nearly out of the program and to sort of go seemingly having got to the stage uh, again you know suddenly just you know gone a bit unlucky possibly I, I think so I think you know she, she's obviously approached Bake Off and, and the challengers with her own style and um, I think in, in most weeks it's been really, really refreshing to see that. So I'm, I'm not only sad to see her go as an individual baker, but I do think this week in particular it was unfair. And of course, Michelle, who had been star baker all the way back in week one, Jane, she uh, she also departs, which is which is a shame, really. She's been a great great personality on the show. It's really hard to lose anybody, I think, in any week, um, especially as you get to know the bakers more. By week five, you do have some idea of what they're like. Yeah, she just didn't have a great week, did she? Really, she her blueberry tarts in which I thought were really really pretty. They said it hadn't got much... Blueberry didn't have much taste. Well, blueberries don't have much taste. And the brulee hadn't worked. But, you know, other people's stuff hadn't worked. Uh, seventh in the technical. And I don't know. I, I, I 
disagree with the comments about her cake. I liked the geode cake. I, I, I didn't think it was too confusing. I thought it was, if you look on the, if you look on Instagram, you'll see plenty of cakes looking like that. So who would have gone instead of them? I don't know, but I was sad to see both of them go. Okay, well, yeah, as you say, never nice to see people leave and, and suddenly two two good really characters mm. and personalities out of the programme. Mm. But look, thank you so much for, for being part of the podcast once again today, Jane and Howard. Uh, to all of you listening, please do continue to tell your friends about all about the podcast. Uh, you can find us on all podcast providers. If you want to get in touch with the show at any point, it is The Bakedown at bakewithalegend.com. You can tweet us at bakewithalegend. Um, also, you should head to Twitter on the morning of every Tuesday when the programme goes out here in the UK. I'm aware a lot of you are listening over in America. You can enter as well. We're doing a competition every Tuesday on Twitter. We're asking you to comment with who you think that that night star baker will be and who is going to leave the tent so if you get both of them right we are giving you a voucher at least entering the competition if more than one of you gets it right and congratulations to lottie freeman who got that right last week she said steph was going to be star baker and phil to leave so we look forward to seeing lottie at one of our upcoming classes and if you do want to check what classes are coming up please head to baitwithalegend.com and you can check out all the classes that we've got coming up howard thank you so much can't wait to taste your beignet souffle that you're gonna <laughs> be bringing in to uh, to see us next week um and thank you so much jane no it's been a pleasure just heard a stripped media production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.